protests sweeping across China, crowds demanding the communist regime and its leaders step down. Protesters fed up with Beijing's zero COVID-19 policies. Does China believe it's a good time to invade Taiwan? As an attempt to distract citizens' anger at the regime, Taiwan responds. Canada unveiling its Indo-Pacific strategy, the long-awaited plan featuring almost $2 billion for spending in the region. And China's economy continues to spiral. We zoom in on the petroleum, coal and fuel processing industry. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A historic moment in China. Protesters in Shanghai asking Chinese leader Xi Jinping to step down. That's as large-scale protests erupted across the country over the weekend. Protesters also took direct aim at the ruling communist regime. The protests have spread to Beijing and about a dozen other Chinese cities. Nationwide protests like these are extremely rare. The last time China saw similar protests happened in 1989, when students asked the Chinese Communist Party for democracy. In response, Beijing sent in tanks and opened fire on the unarmed crowd. It's largely unheard of for Chinese people to publicly demand that the ruling regime or Xi Jinping himself step down. Large groups of police were dispatched to the Shanghai protest. Officers pinned protesters on the ground, while bystanders demanded they be released. The unrest comes just a month after Xi Jinping secured his third term in power. It effectively allows him to rule for life. But public dissent against him is rising. Outside Shanghai, more calls for his resignation are coming from the southwestern city of Chengdu. And in China's capital, Beijing, crowds gathered to demand freedom. We'll keep you updated as the story develops. On top of calling for the end to the Chinese Communist Party, protests in other parts of the country are taking issue with Beijing's strict zero COVID-19 policies. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has the latest on the demonstrations and what triggered the protests. No PCR tests. We want freedom. That's what these protesters in Beijing are chanting after having enough of the Chinese Communist Party's zero COVID lockdown policies. The weekend demonstrations are the most widespread show of opposition to the regime in decades. Protests were kindled after at least 10 people died in an apartment fire in Xinjiang's capital, Urumqi. That's according to state-run media. The real number is unknown. Some say as many as 44 people died in the fire. First responders were unable to reach the blaze due to COVID-19 blockades and locks throughout the residential compound. The fire was left to burn for three hours. Angry residents demanded the citywide lockdown be lifted. Millions of people there have been forbidden to leave their homes for as long as 100 days. 
This man is telling police a three-year-old that died in the fire had not had a proper meal in months and only been eating radishes. Video footage went viral on Chinese social media before internet censors could scrub news of the tragedy. Outrage sparked as more districts around China announced their own lockdowns in response to surging numbers of COVID-19 infections. Protests spread from the city in northwest China to the capital Beijing, all the way to Wuhan and Shanghai. Ten major cities have reported large-scale protests. Demonstrators are holding up blank sheets of white paper in a gesture that circumvents the country's strict censorship laws. One protester stated, we don't need to write anything on it, it's a symbol of the revolution of the people. Others hold up sunflowers, a symbol used by a student movement in Taiwan. Gunshots were reported at the protest in Wuhan. Blockades were broken and fences pushed down. Crowds gathered in Shanghai for a vigil at Wulumchi Middle Road. BBC journalist Ed Lawrence was taken to the ground by a group of policemen and detained. Onlookers demanded he be let go, chanting, release him, release him. The communist regime has relentlessly suppressed critical voices during the pandemic. Several citizen journalists and residents trying to document the toll in the early days of the CCP virus were jailed. Many Chinese citizens say they have had enough of the extreme lockdown measures and are willing to take collective actions to support their neighbors who test positive. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Here's Beijing's response to the nationwide protests. China's foreign ministry denied there's public frustration over COVID-19 measures, adding that the country's fight against the virus will be successful. Now, public anger is even spreading to institutes for higher learning. Protests have sparked inside more than 50 Chinese colleges. First, a look at Beijing. Inside one of China's most prominent Chinese colleges, Tsinghua University, over a thousand students gathered over the weekend, asking for democracy, rule of law, and freedom of speech. One of them even gave a speech, saying if students stay silent because of fear, all of China's people will be disappointed in them. She added that if she didn't take action, she would regret it. The student's voice was caught on camera, but not her face. In the eastern Chinese city of Nanjing, students at another college used their phone flashlights to hold a candlelight vigil, warning those who perished in a fire last week in Xinjiang. <laughs> students at other colleges are also holding various protests. Slogans have popped up across campuses, calling out China's online censorship of incidents that paint the regime in a negative light. One social media post vowed not to help the Chinese communist regime. The user wrote, even if he adds just one small piece of brick to the Chinese regime's mansion, his hands would rot. Talking about China's growing public anger, a Taiwanese professor says there is another factor in play. Guo Yujin believes Chinese Communist Party officials have a vested interest in certain aspects of the country's restricted COVID-19 policy. 
Many high-ranking officials in the CCP and the government are finding interest in the zero-COVID policy. This causes inconvenience to the people and the increases their living costs, and that is also an aspect of the pressure, the pressure of the people with vested interests and the exploited people. Chinese media reported that officials have been profiting from large-scale COVID-19 testing, forced hotel quarantine and other practices. With protests surging across China, concerns are rising about a possible tactic Beijing could use to distract its citizens. Is it possible the Chinese Communist regime might choose to invade Taiwan to distract the Chinese people from their anger at the regime and redirect it towards a common enemy? That's the question Taiwan's Premier Su Chen-chang faced on Monday. In response, he said Taiwan is closely watching out for any action from China. The Chinese Communist Party is an authoritarian and totalitarian country. It's very close to us. Therefore, we'll keep an eye on any changes and actions from China and respond immediately. Next, let's take a step back for a closer look at what sparked all of this public anger in China, the nation's strict COVID-19 policy. The White House COVID-19 response coordinator told ABC News on Sunday that Chinese officials should drop the zero-COVID policy. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for China to be able to contain this through their zero-COVID strategy. Um, I would recommend that they pursue the strategy of making sure everybody gets vaccinated, particularly their elderly. That, I think, is the path out of this virus. UK Business and Energy Secretary Grant Shapps expressed concern about a BBC reporter. Edward Lawrence was beaten by police while covering the protests in China. Shapps is calling the arrest shocking and unacceptable. Keeping a very close eye on what's happening there uh, in China. Uh, but as I say, what's unacceptable, of course, is for journalists who um, should be fully entitled to uh, cover things freely, um, should be uh, caught up and involved in, and indeed arrested. British Foreign Minister James Cleverly also said Beijing should take notice of protests against its strict zero COVID-19 policy and restrictions on freedoms. Over in Germany, officials say they are watching the developments closely. A spokesman also pointed out that Germany has had good experiences with its COVID-19 vaccines, but German vaccines are not widely approved for use in China. Experts say one precondition for lifting strict COVID-19 measures is high public vaccination rate. Canada has unveiled its long-awaited Indo-Pacific strategy. Revealed Sunday, it lays out how the country plans to balance dealing with China with deepening economic and security ties with Pacific nations. At a news conference in Vancouver, Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolly said Canada will be firm in how it engages with China. Here's more. China is an increasingly disruptive global power. Our neighborhood, alongside Japan and South Korea, is facing real security threats from North Korea as it continues reckless missile launches and from China, who continues to challenge international norms. The 26-page strategy mentions China more than 50 times and outlines a $1.7 billion boost to its military and cybersecurity spending in the region. But the document said cooperation with the world's second biggest economy was necessary to address trade issues, global health and nuclear expansion. A Canadian pop star will soon spend 13 years behind bars in China. 
The singer Chris Wu was born in China. A former member of K-pop group EXO, the superstar returned to China in 2014 to pursue a solo career. A Beijing court said the 32-year-old raped three women at his home. Authorities also ordered him to pay over $80 million in fines for tax evasion. The Canadian star once attended the American Music Awards in 2018. He described what it was like for him to live in the free world. Honestly, I feel like I mean it's 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 free. You know, you can you can. I feel like you can just say whatever you want. You know, like and, and everyone has the right to say whatever they, whatever they want. So you know, that's it, it is how it is. I mean, I can't do that in China because China is obviously a different, uh, whole different um, situation. But out here, I mean, it seems like people are free to say what they want. So I have no comments on that. You know, yeah, just do what you want. Do what you, what you feel is right. At the time Wu was detained, he was an ambassador for 15 luxury brands. That's including Bulgari, Louis Vuitton and Porsche. All of them immediately cut ties with him after his detention. Canadian embassy officials attended Wu's sentence hearing. The Beijing court said Wu would be immediately deported. Although lawyers in China have said such deportations typically take place after the sentence is served. China's industrial profits are still on a downward spiral over the first 10 months of this year. This as city authorities are still imposing lockdowns and other curbs to halt virus spread. Let's zoom in. Industrial profits fell 3% in the first 10 months of 2022 from a year earlier. Profits declined for 22 of China's 41 major industrial sectors. The downbeat data for the world's second largest economy also reflects a debt payment crisis within the country's property sector. There's also been a sharp slowdown in consumer spending. Profits for manufacturers were down over 13% in the first 10 months. Sectors showing the steepest declines included the petroleum petroleum, coal, and fuel processing industry, which saw profits tumble over 70%. China's real estate market is heading south, and Beijing is now desperate to pump the brakes with big bucks in hand. Bank of China, the country's fourth largest bank, has pledged a hefty line of credit to 10 real estate developers, meaning they can borrow on a revolving basis to smooth out cash flow. The amount totals more than 600 billion Chinese yuan, equivalent to about $84 billion. One of the 10 recipients is Country Garden, China's biggest home seller. Earlier, the company reported its worst half-year performance since going public in 2007, with profits down 96 percent from last year. Along with other major banks, Bank of China's action echoes a call by China's central bank last week pushing to shore up the faltering industry. Since China's real estate market started unraveling last year, industry giant Evergrande's debt problems have spread to other companies. The second largest developer in China ran out of cash and defaulted on its debt, leaving behind more than a million homes unfinished. Mortgage boycotts erupted before buyers and investors backed away further amid even stricter COVID-19 curbs. Real estate underpins up to 30% of China's GDP, with about 70% of household wealth tied to the sector. China has agreed to restructure Cuban debt and to provide new trade and investment credits to the island nation. Chinese investment in the country has slowed in recent years due to Cuba's failure to meet debt payments. Here's more on what's happening. 
Analysts estimate that debt to be in the billions of dollars, though no official figures are available. Cuba's last reported foreign debt total was nearly $20 billion in 2019. Trade between the two communist countries declined from over $2 billion in 2017 to $1.3 billion last year. China remains Cuba's second most important commercial partner after Venezuela. China also donated $100 million after Hurricane Ian destroyed Cuba's western province last September. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has made claims that his country wants the world's most powerful nuclear force. It came as he promoted dozens of military officers involved in the November 18th launch of the new Hwasong-17 ballistic missile. According to state media, the missile has the capability of reaching the U.S. mainland. North Korean state TV released pictures of Kim and his daughter posing for photos with military officials, scientists, engineers, and others involved in the test. The test launch prompted Washington to put pressure on the United Nations Security Council to hold Pyongyang accountable for its missile tests. The missile tests are banned by UN Security Council resolutions. Coming up, what's behind the scenes of China's growing protest wave? And what's next as that public anger spreads? NTD's Don Ma sat down with Frank Gaffney, China expert and the executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy for Answers. More on that in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China's rising protests are in the spotlight. For more on the new developments, NTD's Don Ma spoke to Frank Gaffney. He's an expert on China and the executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy. Frank, always great to see you. Great to be with you. Seems like you're on the road, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But let me ask you this. Do some of the some of the protesters, they, they were chanting things like, you know, Xi Jinping stepped down, CCP stepped down. What do you think Xi Jinping is feeling in light of this? Angry, I'm sure. Um, they're raining on the coronation parade, the, the honeymoon that he's supposed to have as the newly coronated emperor of China. And here you have evidence that uh, there are not only large numbers of people across the country who are furious about what he has been doing to them, to their families, to their, you know, uh, I'm sure their businesses, uh, their society, uh, through this zero COVID policy, uh, is now translating into a desire to overthrow the Chinese Communist Party and specifically to remove him from power. Uh, and that's now being expressed by, you know, significant numbers of people. Uh, whether they can pull this off, whether they can continue to build momentum behind their protests, all remains to be seen. Uh, given the power of the state, given the social credit system and the surveillance state apparatus available to the CCP and its ruthlessness, especially under Xi Jinping, um, it's uh, it's very uncertain uh, how long this can go on, but it is to be applauded and it is to be supported, it seems to me, 
certainly by anybody who understands the extent of the danger that the Chinese Communist Party represents, not just to the people of China, but to us. Now, now you, you said uh, Xi Jinping is angry. Do you think there's an element of fear in, in that emotion as well? I think there's always fear. Um, these totalitarians understand that uh, they're a bullet away from being removed from power. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, they're gone. And I think this is a question of, is it the case that the hold on power of the Chinese Communist Party is such that it can have confidence that all of the security apparatus uh, and the local police, as well as, you know, the Praetorian Guard, are completely reliable. And I have the feeling that that's not the case, and we certainly ought to encourage the people around Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party uh, to make clear that they regard them as illegitimate and they want to be done with them. And that's what the people of China are now doing, and we ought to be helping them do it. What do you think uh, is going to be Xi Jinping's response in light of these protests? Do you think she might consider easing some of the COVID restrictions or is he going to suppress the protesters? What do you think? Oh, I think it's likely that he'll um, opt for suppressing the protesters uh, ruthlessly and comprehensively. Um, I don't see him, uh, as was true of, um, you know, Deng Xiaoping at the time of uh, the Tiananmen Square massacre, the, the last time that you saw this level of opposition being overtly expressed by the people of China. Um, and that ended very badly for those seeking freedom and, uh, and demonstrating against the party. Um, that will be more likely than not the case here, too. But all the more reason why we must make this as costly to the Chinese Communist Party as we can. Remember, after um, the Tiananmen Square massacre, George Bush sent his national security advisor, Brent Scowcroft and others, to Beijing to promise that there would be no adverse impact on business relations and diplomatic relations, for that matter, between the United States and China. That message must not be sent this time around. We must stand firmly on the side of the people of China, seeking to bring down, as I said, a regime that brutally represses them and mortally threats us as well. All right. I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming today, Frank. Appreciate you letting me do it in my mobile studio. Thank you. All right. All right. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.